0: Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here this morning. I thought for sure we were going to wake up this morning and it was going to be no snow on the ground. But in keeping with the pattern, the whole month of February, snow again. I remind the Lord often that there are five or six other days of the week when it can snow. Uh, So thank you for your willingness to come out and be here Uh, It really is good to have you. We're right in the middle of a four-part series we've entitled Overflow. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, then you know this series is about giving, being generous, and practicing good biblical stewardship, especially with this thing called tithing, or giving 10% of our income to God. Now, some of you might be thinking, we tricked you with this series. And from your perspective, if we knew we were going to be talking about giving, instead of entitling the series Overflow, we should have called it Shortfall (laughs) or Deficit, because that's what happens when you give stuff away. You have less and not more. But you see, Bible Study 101 teaches us God's ways are not our ways, and God has chosen The foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of this world to astonish the strong. How else could we believe a gospel message where the Son of God, the Son of God, mind you, goes to the cross there and dies for the sins of the world? To the human mind, to the analytical mind, That is foolishness. It makes absolutely no sense. And neither does giving our stuff away. That's why we have to depend upon the word of God. And a passage of scripture found in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him with the first fruits of all of your increase. And after you do that, After you give God the portion that belongs to him, the scripture says, then your barns and your vats and every container in your house will be filled to overflowing. And I know that this is an Old Testament verse. I mentioned that last week in lesson number two. But the New Testament pretty much says the same thing. Jesus said in Luke chapter six and verse 38, give, one more time, give, And it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. What's another way to say running over? Overflow. Overflow. See, we're not trying to trick you. (laughs) We're trying to teach you something. We're trying to communicate to you a truth found in the word of God that is so very important. And ultimately, if you can get a hold of it, if you can really open your heart and receive it, it will benefit and bless you. You see, this message that I've been teaching you the last couple of weeks, it's transformational. It will change your life totally if you can receive it. Now, in past years, like the first 15 years of our history, I would talk about tithing once a year. I would give a once-a-year tithing message, whether the church needed it or not, and I would spend a lot of time on this one message. I mean, I would do some extra research, I would study, I'd try to come up with a really catchy little illustration, and for the most part, not 100%, but most of you enjoyed that message, and the tithers, they really looked forward to it. But I used to give that once-a-year message when believers came to church every week. Doesn't happen anymore. In fact, we not only used to come to church on every Sunday morning, we would come back to church on Wednesday night and we would come to a once a month prayer meeting. We did that all the time. But we're living different kinds of lives. The culture has changed and believers don't make it to church every Sunday anymore. In fact, the national average is, and I share this with you on many occasions, once a month. That's the amount of church that the average Christian gets one service a month. And I know some of you are here all the time, think that's hard to really imagine. You're here every week, but there's some people that are never here. So you balance each other out. So I used to give this tithing message once a year when everybody was here, but now, since it's once a month, if I want to communicate something to the church that's really important for all of us to hear, I have to preach it four weeks in a row. That's why this series is a four-week series. Either that or I have to beg you to get a copy of the podcast or listen to the podcast, which I did this past Sunday. I asked you to do that because there's some things that I wanted you to hear. I wanted to share these things with you. Last Sunday, I mentioned to the church that we've slipped a little bit in our giving. We have always been above the curve, always better than average. But we've slipped from the amount of people tithing in our church being at 33%, down to about 24%. So instead of one out of three people in the church tithing, it's now one out of four. That's quite a difference. And I also shared last week, for the first time in our 26-year history, we brought in less tithe money for a year than we did the previous year. So in 2017, we brought in as a church, we received less tithe money than we did in 2016. That's the first time that's ever happened. It's never happened before. We've always brought in more tithe money with every increasing year. So I mentioned this to the board and they wanted me to share this with you and challenge you from the word of God. And that's what we've been doing. We've been doing that because we believe with all of our hearts that this is an important topic, it's an important message. I know some people, they get a little uneasy when we're talking about money, and it it makes me laugh because, you know, I've met a few people that are here for the first time, and we're talking about money, and there's some other people that are here, and the last time they were here, we were talking about money. Uh, So it's just maybe something we need to hear. All right, I wanna take a look at a passage this morning found in the book of Genesis. And this particular set of verses or passage, it takes place immediately following the flood. Do you remember that story? Way back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us that God looked down from heaven and he saw how wicked and how evil the earth had become. And even though it broke his heart to even think this, God decided to start over. He decided to destroy every living thing on the earth. And so he tapped a man, a good man, by the name of Noah on the shoulder, and he said, Noah, I want you to build a really big boat, or an ark. It took Noah 120 years to build that boat. And God said, I want you to build that boat because I'm going to send some rain, and it's going to rain for a really long time. And I want you and your family to get in that boat, which is exactly what Noah did. It rained, just like God said, for 40 days and 40 nights. And every single thing, every living thing that was not inside that ark was destroyed. It all perished in the flood. About a year after the rains came, Noah and his family finally exited the ark. And the very first thing that Noah did was to build an altar. And he presented an offering before the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 8, in verse 21, verses 21 and 22, here's what the Bible says. When Noah presented this offering to the Lord, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the offering, and he said in his heart, God said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Furthermore... In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, God said, As long as the earth remains, how long? As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And God wasn't kidding, was it? I mean, I've been on the earth a little over 60 years. 23,000 plus days. And I have never seen the sun fail to rise to start a new day. Not one time. Now I haven't always been up for the sun. (laughs) And the sun sometimes is hidden by the clouds. But it has risen in accordance with God's word Every single day, because God said so. And every single year that I can remember, my whole life, there have been the seasons. Some winters are not as cold as other winters. There's not as much snow as there's been this winter. Sometimes it's not quite as hot in the summer. But there's always the seasons. There's the times and the seasons. There's day and night. There's hot and cold, because God set it up that way. And again, in Genesis chapter 8, in verse 22, God said, as long as the earth remains, as long as the earth is in existence, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now, what's another phrase for seed time and harvest? Anybody? Sowing and reaping. That's what sowing and reaping is. You sow some seed, you reap a harvest. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, remember this. Any idea why Paul would say, remember this? Because we have a tendency to forget it. And he wanted us to remind ourselves often. He said, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Every man and woman should give from the heart, not reluctantly, grudgingly, or out of a sense of obligation. We don't give out of obligation. The reason we give is because God desires us to give, and he likes what? What does God love? A cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Okay, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, I've written a lot to you and I've been talking to you about a lot of things. I, I read the letter to 1 Corinthians and then now i got 2 Corinthians and I'm teaching you a lot of things. And everything I'm trying to teach you is important, but there's one principle, one truth that I really want you to sink your teeth in and I want you to get it deep down in your heart because this is so important. And not only is it extremely important, Paul said, if you learn this principle, it will unlock most every other principle there is in life. And here it is again. What you sow, you will reap. And ultimately, this plays out this exact way every single time because God said so. And in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul said, sowing and reaping, this principle works with money. It's not just about money, but includes money. And when you sow... If you give a lot, then you can expect to receive a lot. If you sow and you're a little on the stingy side, then don't expect much to be coming back your way. You see, that's the principle of sowing and reaping. It's a concrete law. It's going to work every time. It's just as powerful, just as real as the law of gravity. Now, when we encourage people to give... And to be generous when we ask members of the local church to invest in the kingdom of God and to give a tithe to the church to follow this teaching called tithing when we ask the church to do this here's how the majority of people think over the years I've discovered and I, I've talked to people and I've had a lot of conversations received plenty of email and and letters in return, when we ask people to tithe, when we make a big deal about this teaching, this is how the majority of people think. They think that the money that they're giving to God is a debt that they owe. They look at it as an expense, and they view tithing as just another form of debt. So if we say to you that tithing means that you're to give 10% of your income to God, That means that you get to keep 90%. So people will say, 90% of everything I can get my hands on, 90% of everything I make, that belongs to me, but the other 10% belongs to God. That's debt. That's an expense that I owe to God. So when I write out a tithe check or a a check to the church, when I go online and set up an online account, or when I text a give then that portion of money that I give to the church or that payment that I make to the church is just like all of my other payments. This is how people think. It's just like all of my other payments. And for the most part, we all have payments, don't we? Most of us make payments on a regular basis. House payments or rent payments. Some of us, most of us, have a car payment. We have utility payments. We pay utilities every month. We have credit card payments, we all wanna eat, right? There's a grocery bill, we have to buy food. And then on top of all of these payments, all of these expenses, there's the tithe check. Now there's the tithe expense. With a happy-go-lucky, clueless pastor standing on the platform and stage telling you, don't forget now, God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, you wanna smack the guy. (laughs) How can you be cheerful? How can you have any amount of joy? Because all you're doing is writing out checks. And with that kind of a mindset, here's what typically happens to a lot of people. They add up all of their bills, all of the expenses, everything that has to go out. They add that up at the end of the month or whenever payday is. And when your expenses, the money that has to go out, is greater than the amount of money you have in your checking account, which is the easiest check not to write? Which is the one that you can probably put to the bottom of the pile or skip for that particular month? Well it's not going to be your house payment. You don't want your house to go into foreclosure. You don't want somebody to pull up with a tow truck and repossess your car. Certainly not during the winter do you want someone to shut your heat off So the most logical and the easiest way to work everything out when you can't make ends meet is just to let that tithe check go. I mean, you don't have it. It's not there. And I've also learned that most believers, they want to give. They want to invest in their local church and in the kingdom of God especially when they see that there's some good things are happening and God's using the church in a, in, a, in a mighty way, a powerful way. I think it's in our hearts, all of us, to give. We want to, but sometimes you just don't have it. And so when we're not giving to God the way that we think we are or the way we think we should, every single time the subject of money comes up in church or when we pass the baskets, at offering time, or when we announce that there's going to be another series on giving. You get that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach you sit on the edge of your seat and you cringe all during the time that we're talking about money and then the devil capitalizes on that and he brings guilt and condemnation and shame and it just keeps going over and over again and believe it or not because of the stress on this one particular subject Some people drop out of church. They don't even come back to church because they just don't want to deal with it. And again, it's in their heart to give. They just don't have it to give. Friend, can I tell you that the Bible never identifies the money that we give to God as a debt we owe, but rather a seed that we sow. I'm going to say that again because that's extremely important. The Bible never says, never calls the money that we give to God or the money that we uh, write out, the check that we write out to God, never calls that a debt or an expense. It calls it a seed. And seed doesn't belong on the expense side of the ledger. Seed is not a liability. Seed is never an expense. It's not a bill. Seed is an investment. And seed will always yield a profit. There's something that God has placed in seed that makes seed so unique. It does not belong on the same side of the ledger as all of your other expenses. Now, a little later on in that same book of 2 Corinthians, when Paul was talking to us about sowing and reaping, when he was saying, hey, don't don't forget... Whoever sows sparingly will reap it that way. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. When he got through saying all that, a couple of verses later, in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 9, Paul said these words, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, listen carefully, he will also supply and increase your store of seed. Who are we talking about here? Who's doing this? This is God. So God... He will supply and increase your store of seed. And he, God, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so you can be. So you can be generous on every occasion. Are you picking up on this? The Bible tells us that the very God who set this seed time and harvest plan into effect. He also provides us with seed. God gives us the seed that we need. He gifts it to us. And he will increase your store of seed so that you can be generous on every occasion and you can give yourself a bountiful harvest. You can produce this harvest. Now, while we're on the subject of seed, because this is so important, I told you that the money we are supposed to give to God, the money the scripture says we are to give to God, it's not a debt, it's not an expense, it's a seed. We're sowing, we're planting, we're investing in the kingdom of God. And so while we're on the subject of seed, let's talk a little agriculture here. And if what I'm about to share with you, if it interests you, if it fascinates you, or if you want to check my work, you can go to worldofcorn.com. That's all, Worldofcorn.com. These numbers that I'm gonna give you, they are hot off the press statistics. And please understand, the world of farming is so much different than it used to be. It has changed dramatically over the last couple of decades. Farmers are high tech now. They have very advanced equipment with sophisticated methods. And so they are producing way more crops today than they used to. Take corn for instance, corn, is a multi-billion dollar a year business. I'm gonna say that again. Corn is a multi-billion dollar a year business. In 2016, and I use the 2016 numbers because they haven't calculated 2017 yet, but in 2016, a record 14 billion bushels of corn was produced in the United States. 14 billion bushels of corn. Anyone care to guess the state that produced the most corn? Iowa, over here. Very good. Then Illinois, then Nebraska, then Minnesota. And just so you know, very little of the vegetable corn on the cob makes it into our kitchen these days. And yes, corn is processed into a multitude of food products including cereals and snacks and salad dressings, soft drinks, sweeteners, chewing gum, peanut butter, and a whole slew of other food products. Corn is in all that. However, the majority of the corn crop, that 14 billion bushels, is used as the main energy ingredient in livestock feed, industrial alcohol, and fuel ethanol. So that's where the big money is. Check this out. A bushel of corn seed weighs approximately 56 pounds, and it contains about 90,000 kernels of corn. One bushel of corn seed. Do you see it? Okay. You need somewhere between 32,000 and 35,000 kernels to plant an acre of corn. So just one bushel will fully furnish a minimum of two-and-a-half acres. Okay, that bushel of corn right there, the 56 pounds, the 90,000 plus kernels, it will plant two-and-a-half acres of corn. Now the five-year production in the United States, the corn production, five-year average, is 130 bushels of corn per acre. 130 bushels of corn per acre is the five-year average in the United States of America. Sometimes it gets a little higher than that and can go as high as 180 bushels per acre. It can go to 180 bushels, but the average is 130. So let's just use the average. Not any higher. Not 180, not 160, or 132. Just 130. That means one bushel of corn, just one bushel, sown or planted into the ground will produce 325 bushels of corn. One bushel of corn planted multiplies to 325 bushels. Let's see this second graphic here. Is that amazing or what? pretty amazing. Could you ever imagine a farmer saying I can't afford to buy seed? Seed is everything. Without seed a farmer couldn't survive. Without seed a farmer couldn't do what a farmer does. Corn seed to a corn farmer is much different than everything else that farmer has to deal with. And make no mistake, he has a bunch of expenses. Shovels and forks and pitchforks and uh, rakes and tractors and fuel and fertilizer and pesticides, and the list goes on and on. And every single year, all of those items keep going up. And I would be willing to bet that a farmer complains a lot about the rising cost of those kinds of things. But one aspect of farming you will never hear a farmer complain about or be frustrated with is the cost of seed. No matter how high that seed goes up or how difficult it is to obtain, no matter what he has to do in order to secure it, the farmer's view of seed is much different than every other expense. The farmer doesn't see seed on the expense side. Because to a farmer, the seed is his investment, and it's an absolute must. Seed never depreciates. I'm gonna say that again. Seed never depreciates, like a car or a boat, or a motorcycle, or just about every other possession that we have. That all appreci- that, that depreciates. Seed doesn't do that. Seed does just the opposite. It multiplies, it grows, it accumulates. Seed always brings a return greater than itself. God put a power in seed that produces income, increase, and enlargement. And please don't forget what Paul said. He provides a store of seed for you. The God who gives us every good and perfect gift The God who blesses us with everything that we have gifts us with seed. He gives us the seed so that we can be generous and we can experience harvest. It's as if God passes out to each one of us this little spiritual bag and he says, I want you to write the word seed on this bag. Just go ahead. Take this spiritual bag miraculous bag write the word seed on it and then put 10% of your income 10% of what you make put it in that bag put it in a seed bag don't eat it don't spend it don't even try to save it sow it invest it plan it and see what God can do with it. If one corn of seed can produce 325 seeds, what can God do with every dollar, every tithe dollar that we invest into the kingdom of God? It's God who gives us the seed so we can plant it. Now, I want to make one last point, and then we're going to be uh, done for today. Undoubtedly, whenever I give a message like this, somebody in the audience will put me to the test. And they'll take this message, and they'll say, okay. They'll start giving generously. They'll tithe for a couple of weeks. And then they'll wait for a miraculous return on their investment. And when their financial expectation and goals are not met, when things don't begin to happen the way that I just explained them to you, they'll come back, punch a, hole, a bunch of holes into my message, tell me that tithing doesn't work and that it's a big joke. Don't go there. Don't do that. And please understand, God is not afraid of you putting his system to the test. You can go ahead and do that. In fact, he even gives us that challenge. He says, you can prove me, you can try me, put me to the test. When you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't be able to receive. So don't be afraid to put God to the test. But don't think that this message is a give to get more scheme. That's not what God is all about. In fact, God never feeds the monster of more and the monster of greed that we have the tendency to have. This is not a message about being selfish. That's not what this is about. And if that's how you interpret this, you're missing the point. And yes, I am well aware of the distorted financial message that's floating around in the church today. And many uh, preachers have not only promoted it, they, they've endorsed it, they, they, they preach it. It's called a prosperity gospel or a prosperity theology. I don't find that in the word of God, I'm sorry. We don't give to God, and we don't give to the church so that we can all become financial tycoons. That's not the the reasoning behind giving. God will bless you if you are obedient to him. He will see your heart and the intention of your heart. And the Bible says that God wants us to give because a part of it belongs to him. And he loves when we're generous and kind And we care about the people next to us. Throwing a chunk of money at God or tithing for a little while, that's never going to replace good biblical stewardship. We're not going to be able to just spend as much as we want, disregard the wisdom in the Bible, get ourselves into all kinds of debt, and then try to tithe and say, okay, God, bail us out. That's not the message of this money series. It's not what we're trying to communicate to you. God will bless you. The scripture is clear over and over again. He will give you an overflow of blessing if your heart is right. If you connect with him and you buy into his plan, which is to sow some of the seed that he gives to you. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for such wealth that comes from your word. Lord, you spoke all of these things into existence. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we fail to remember that you are the author of all of these good things. Everything that we see, everything that's around us, everything that we have, it all belongs to you. And as our provider, Jehovah Jireh, not only do you bless us with health and strength and life, your word clearly says that you provide for us some seed. And with that seed that you give to us, you instruct us to sow and to plant and to invest in the kingdom of God. And Father, we thank you for the spirit of God that opens our hearts and our minds to receive these kinds of messages. They're challenging. They're not easy to analyze or to understand. Sometimes if we try to put them to the calculator, they don't make sense. But that's not what you're asking us to do, Lord. You're asking us to believe you, to take you at your word. And so, Lord, in these closing moments, I pray that you would make this truth a reality in each of our hearts. That a long time ago, when you set up this whole system of seed time and harvest, you told us there's a return coming on every invested and every sown seed. And I pray, Lord God, that we would understand this is not debt. This is not an expense. This is not just another bill, something that we're forced or compelled to do. This is something that you give us the ability to do and to get excited about. We can have joy in our hearts when we give. So I pray, Lord, in these closing moments that you would speak to each one of us. stand. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org/media or search CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.